Scripture reading this morning will be held in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. It's John 11, 25 through 26. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Good morning to everyone. I know we've got a lot of visitors in our midst this morning. We're very, very thankful that you're here. Uh, we're thankful that you're a part of our worship this morning. Maybe you've got questions about some of the things we're doing or some of the things you've heard or seen. We would love to be able to spend some time with you. If you have questions, love to be able to talk to you about what we're trying to be and what we're trying to do. And let me just say this briefly. We want to be the New Testament church that you read about in your Bible. That's all we want to be. We don't want to be a part of any denominational group or any part of organization outside of just what you see in the pages of the New Testament. And we believe that we can do that if we'll go back to Scripture and let the Scriptures inform us and let the Scriptures tell us exactly what God would have us to do. And so we want to be able to give a Bible answer for everything that we're a part of, for all that we're about. We want to be able to open the pages of Scripture and say, we do what we do because we see this practice. We see this counsel. We see this being commanded by God. And maybe you're interested in that. We'd love the opportunity to talk to you more. We want to follow Jesus Christ. And when you follow Jesus, you'll be a part of the church of Jesus Christ that you read about in the New Testament. So we'd love the opportunity to talk with you more, but we're really, really glad that you're here with us this morning. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to John chapter 11. You can just leave that passage open in your lap as we study this morning. I want to tell you about the time that Jesus went to a funeral. There are a lot of things that happen at funerals. We think about someone's legacy. We think about what they've meant to us. We think about the family and their grieving and their mourning. We think about the many arrangements that have to be made when someone passes away. We think about all kinds of details and maybe a lot of these details we've never really taken time to think about. There are a lot of people that are living their lives and they're kind of oblivious to the fact that it's appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, that all of us are going to, all of us are going to leave this life if the Lord doesn't return first. And a lot of different things happen at funerals. It's a very emotional time. It's a very turbulent time. And different cultures and societies, they deal with grieving and mourning and they deal with funerals very differently. I've been to some other countries and I've been to funerals in other countries and they're very, very different in a lot of ways than funerals that I experienced in this country. And even in this country, the practices that you might experience here in Katy, Texas would be different in a lot of ways from maybe if you went to a funeral in another state. But funerals are times of great gravity and significance and of great import. And in John chapter 11, we have a record of Jesus attending a funeral. And I want us to read for just a moment because maybe the passage isn't familiar to you. And I'm going to read quite a few verses. There is nothing better that we could do with our time than to read from God's word. And I just want to read the first 26 verses of John chapter 11 with you this morning. And I want you to listen to what happens. And we'll make some observations as we conclude the reading. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, the time when Jesus attended a funeral. 
Now a certain man was sick, John 11 verse 1, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters said to him, saying, sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of Lazarus's death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, that, and, and, but Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. As we think about this passage, when Jesus goes to a funeral, the first thing we notice are the surprising ways of God. When you read the Bible, God rarely acts the way we think he should act. He rarely does what we think he should do in the moment. And certainly that's the case in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. The surprising ways of God. When God delivered people, he used somebody like Moses. Moses, the man who said, Lord, I, I'm not able to speak very well. I'm, I'm certainly not the one that you want, Exodus chapter 3. When God chose a king over Israel, he chose David, who was the smallest and the meekest of all of his brothers. And God said, I want that man to be my king. When God delivers his people, he uses even sometimes national kings like Cyrus to deliver his people. God works in surprising ways. And when you get to this particular account, notice in verses 1 through 16, the passage that we just read, Jesus' friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
And if you've got dear friends, which Jesus did, and they send to you, which they did, your friend Lazarus, the one that you love, see how it's written that way in the passage? The one that you love, he's sick. It just seems obvious that Jesus would, because he loves Lazarus and he loves Mary and Martha, it just seems obvious, doesn't it, that Jesus would just drop what he's doing and go and be with them. And don't forget, Jesus has given plenty of evidence that he's got no problem healing the sick. He is the great physician. He is the doctor who never lost a case. Nobody ever brought some kind of medical mystery to Jesus and he said, well, I don't know what to do with that. Jesus can heal the sick. And if he comes, their hope obviously is Lazarus is going to get better. But that's not what Jesus does. The Bible says that Jesus hears this word and he waits for two more days until Lazarus is dead. And then after he knows Lazarus is dead, then he and the apostles make the journey. Oh, and then there's this as well. The Jews had recently been trying to kill Jesus in Jerusalem and it's dangerous and the apostles know it. If Jesus goes back to Jerusalem at this time, it's dangerous for him to do that because they might well succeed in their plans to put him to death, the apostles think. And so you've got that dynamic going on as well. And Jesus is in total control of everything, but everything he does is a surprise, not only to the apostles and not only to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it's a surprise to us as well. You know, when we struggle and when we hurt and when we go through difficulties in our lives and we have troubles, we want, we want God to be there, don't we? We want him to help us and we want him to deliver us and we want him to rescue us. And this passage teaches us, God has not stopped caring just because we face sickness or disease. Does Jesus care when I'm sick? Does God care when I'm going through difficulties? Does he care when my body is not functioning the way that he designed it to function? And the answer in this passage is yes, but some of the things that happen still may be surprising to us. Not only that, what about when death comes? Because it is coming for all of us. Lazarus is dead, Jesus says. Does God care in the times when we mourn the loss of a loved one? When we stand over the casket of someone that has meant a great deal to us? Does God care? Does he, does he look upon us and say, well, they're just going to have to deal with that? The passage is emphatic. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. He knows exactly what's happening to Lazarus. And there are some things that are happening with Lazarus' death that are of eternal import. Jesus is going to prove who he is through all of this. Does God care when I'm disappointed, when I'm let down? The sisters, Martha first and then Mary, are going to come to Jesus and they're going to say, both of them, the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd only been here. 
and it sounds almost like an accusation, and Martha actually changes it just a little bit. When you look at verse 22, Martha says those words, and then in verse 22, and then she says, but, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. So yes, you, you could have helped us if you'd been here, but we're really disappointed. When we face disease and death and disappointment, we can know for a fact that the Lord of all eternity cares for us. And yet it's still surprising, isn't it? That Jesus didn't just immediately drop everything and go as fast as he could. And the biggest surprise in all of this is probably, at least from my perspective, the delay. Verse six, two more days. And so by the time he gets to the funeral, by the time he gets to where Lazarus had lived, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. They did not wait to bury bodies in ancient times for obvious reasons. You, you did not let that body linger. You buried it quickly and that's what had happened with Lazarus. And so for four days, he's been in the tomb. The surprising ways of God if you've got kids and if your kids eat, sooner or later, mom or dad will be in the kitchen making a meal. And you've experienced this if you're a parent. Little heads start to make their appearance in the kitchen. As dinner's getting more and more uh, close, to, close to time to eat, little heads start to appear and they kind of shadow you. If you had this happen to you, they kind of stand there and they look and 15 minutes until dinner's about to be on the table and they'll say, I'm hungry. What do mom and dad say? Well, I know you're hungry, but it's not time to eat yet. Was well, there anything I can eat? You'll spoil your appetite if you eat right now. 15 minutes, dinner will be on the table. And oftentimes, it's an expression of love, isn't it? to make your child wait just a little bit longer. You're teaching them some things. You're helping them to realize that maybe the world doesn't revolve around me. You're helping them to realize that health and nutrition are important and waiting for something that's good for them is a good thing. You're helping them to realize these important lessons and you as a parent are expressing your love for them by your delay. Sometimes we come to God and we're like little kids. God, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, and I need, I need you to deliver me, I need you to help me, and I need it now, now. Give it to me now, help me now, fix it now. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're not unlike us. I need you to help me now. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way because we really do hurt. But we also need to realize that sometimes in the surprising ways of God, God shows his love for us in the delays. Sometimes he shows his concern and his compassion for us by not giving us everything we ask for right now. The Hebrews writer would say it this way in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36, he said, you have need of endurance. You need to hold on to what you believe to be true, Christians, because God doesn't give us everything and make us comfortable always right now. And Jesus, as he gets ready to go to this funeral, waits because there are things that are going to happen 
that are expressions of God's love that could not happen to these people or to us any other way. Now look at verses 17 through 27 in your passage. The passage we read just a moment ago, when Jesus goes to a funeral, now he decides we're going. And I love what Thomas says. You know, we call him Doubting Thomas. He's also kind of pessimistic Thomas, but there's bravery there too. Thomas says in verse 16, he says, we're going to Jerusalem. Let us go with him that we may die also, you know. So he's just, you know, he's really got a negative outlook on what's gonna happen when Jesus finally gets back to this area where they're trying to kill him. Jesus comes, and what we find in verses 17 through 27 is the unique consolation of Jesus. How do you console somebody at a funeral? What do you say to them? How, how can you say something that's helpful, you know? When you see somebody hurting, you want to fix it, you know? You want to, you want to help them past it, and that's kind of our natural inclination, and what do you say? I want you to watch what Jesus does. It says in verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. That's Lazarus. Bethany's near Jerusalem. And it says, Martha, Martha hears that Jesus is coming. And so Martha kind of secretly, it seems, in verse 20, escapes. She, she leaves the funeral. And as she goes out to see Jesus on the road, she finds him outside of the, of the village where they lived. And in verse 21 and 22, we've already alluded to this. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Unless that seemed too severe, Martha's really concerned. She, she's thinking about others and she's thinking about Jesus and how he feels. Even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And then in verse 23, Jesus responds. He says, your brother will rise again. Now, what Martha thought is that the end, of, the end of the world, you know, the day of judgment? Yes, everybody who has, has ever died is gonna rise again. The ancient Jews believed that. In fact, that was the big fight that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had. You remember in Acts 23, for example, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees said, yes, the dead will rise again. The Sadducees said, no, the dead do not rise again. And the Pharisees had it right. And so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, Martha, being a good Orthodox Jewish lady, says, well, of course, I know, verse 24, that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know he will. I know that we're going to rise from the dead one day. The Old Testament teaches that, and Jesus has been teaching that, and Jesus has been proving that, by the way, by raising others from the dead. I know it's going to happen. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what he means when he says your brother will rise again. In verses 25 through 27, you have the heart of the chapter and you have something that is of such importance that we need to spend time just meditating on what it means. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I want you to think about when you go to a funeral, what do you say? Jesus did not say to Martha, I'm praying for you. He didn't say to Martha, I'll be with you and I'll have my arm around you and I'll help you through this. He didn't say to Martha, 
can I make something and, and bring it to you? Is there a meal I can prepare? We try to do those things because we realize those are expressions of concern and compassion. One of the best things you can do for someone who's grieving is to just sit with them, to be beside them when they're going through grief. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. Here's what's so astounding. Jesus deals with death and he deals with pain by pointing people to himself. If you're taking notes, write that down. The way Jesus deals with death is by pointing people to himself. Let me tell you what not to do at a funeral. Don't go and sit at a funeral with someone who's mourning for their loved one and start talking about yourself. Don't do it. It's not polite. It's not sensitive. It's not compassionate to sit down and say, you know, I had the worst day. Let me tell you about what's going on in my life and to talk about or, or, or even to talk about someone that you lost. Let me tell, tell you about someone that I lost that passed away and, and how, how it impacted me. Don't go to a funeral and start talking about yourself. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the funeral and instead of saying, I'm praying for you or I want to help you, Jesus says, I, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's saying two things there. Take a notes, write it down. Two things. He's saying, I am the resurrection and he's saying, I am the life. Two separate things. And then he explains what he means by that. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. I'm the resurrection. And then in verse 26, I am the life. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. You can have eternal life. You can have eternal life in Jesus and you can have eternal life in Jesus right now. Right this minute, you can have eternal life. It starts now. It starts in this world. It starts in this life. And the way it starts is when you come to Jesus and you put him on in baptism. You are clothed in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. We become buried with him and raised to walk in newness of life with him, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. I am the life, and you can have eternal life right now. I am the answer to all of this. That's how Jesus responds at a funeral. I'm the answer. I'm the one. And it's a really unique way to console people, isn't it? Because who else gets to go to a funeral and say, you know what you really need? You need more of me. You know what you really need? You need people to appreciate me more. Only Jesus can do that. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And then look at verse 26. He says, do you believe this, Martha? And he's asking a different question than she was answering earlier. He's not asking her, do you believe that the dead will rise again? She already said she believed that. He's asking, Martha, do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? And her response in verse 27 is, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. When Jesus comes to death, when he comes to a funeral, when he comes to the loss of a loved one, Jesus responds by pointing people to himself. And when Jesus comes into this world and sees people who are laboring and who are heavy laden and who are sick and who are sorrowful, Jesus says, 
come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. You find rest and you find consolation and you find comfort and you find eternal life only by coming to him. There is no other way. There is no other source of hope besides him. I am the resurrection and the life. And I know people all over the world are thinking about the resurrection of Jesus today. And it's appropriate that they do so because this is the time in the Jewish calendar when the Passover is taking place. This is the time of year when Jesus was crucified and raised on the third day. But what people don't often see is they don't often see that the only hope they will ever have for life beyond this one is to come to him. I am the resurrection and the life. That's how he consoles people. And then notice third, as you go on in this passage, Jesus goes out to the tomb, Mary comes to him, people are mourning and grieving. And the way that people would deal with funerals in ancient times is very different, as I've said, than the way we deal with funerals. We have a funeral and it's not a criticism at all, it's just it's what we do in our culture. We, we become kind of stoic, you know? And yes, there are tears that are shed, but wailing and, and, and loud expressions and outbursts, those, those are not very common. And when we leave the funeral, we, we talk about, she was really strong, you know. He, he really, he, he's really being strong for his family. We say things like that. In, in Jesus' day, if you really love someone, you'd let the world know when they died. You'd let the world know how much you loved them by crying and weeping and wailing. And, and if the weeping and wailing was not loud enough or you couldn't sustain it long enough, there were others who would come along and would help you, sometimes for a fee. And so there are people in the, in the home of Mary and Martha and they're wailing and weeping and, and, and crying and mourning and, and Jesus goes and sees all of this and he goes out to the tomb of Lazarus. Where have you laid him? They say, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 35, that even Jesus himself wept. He wept because he was weeping with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. He was weeping also because of the hard-heartedness and the obstinance of those Jews on that occasion who could not see and did not understand that the same Messiah who was able to stop the storm and the same Messiah who was able to heal the sick could also raise the dead. They just couldn't believe that. They couldn't get that through their minds that Jesus had that power. And Jesus stands before the open tomb of Lazarus. He has them roll the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it's almost humorous in verse 44. He who had died, Lazarus, John eleven forty four. 44, he came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. You just kind of imagine that, right? They've, they've got him wrapped up. And if you've ever been wrapped up like Lazarus was, you just kind of do like this. This is how Lazarus had to come out of the tomb, right? Because the, the clothes are still wrapped around him. He can just barely move. I am the resurrection, I am the life. Jesus has power over death. And brothers and sisters and friends, that changes everything about how you live in this world, it must. Because you're gonna die one day if the Lord doesn't return first and so am I. We're all going to attend the funerals of loved ones if the Lord doesn't return first. The vital lesson of resurrection, the resurrection of the dead it impacts our past. 
1 Corinthians 15, 23 tells us that Jesus is the first fruits. When Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, that became a guarantee that everybody else who has ever lived will rise from the dead one day. The resurrection of, of Jesus impacts our present as well. When you're baptized, you are buried with Christ and you are raised to walk in newness of life. And it's almost amazing to think about this. In John 12 and verse two, the very same passage we're, we're looking at, the Bible says that Jesus goes and sits down at a meal and Lazarus is right there at the table with him. This man who had been dead and buried for four days and his body had decayed to the point where they said, in the great King James, it says, he stinketh, John eleven thirty nine. He stinketh, but he's come out of the tomb and there he is dining with Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus impacts how we live today. It also impacts our future. Because of Jesus and because of the promises of God, we can attend the funeral of one who has died in the Lord and we don't mourn as those who have no hope. First Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. That's the consequence, the lesson of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ connects to our resurrection one day. And all of us need to be making decisions right now today in light of the fact that you're going to live somewhere forever. You're gonna be somewhere. The only question you have to answer today is this. Have I put my faith and my trust in Jesus? Because he is the resurrection and the life and he is the only place I can find those things. Or am I willing to live a rebellious life and stand before a holy God in judgment without any hope and without a savior? That's the lesson of the resurrection. It's not just this world, but the next world that we need to consider. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to become a New Testament Christian. You wanna become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. The way that you do that is through faith in Jesus. Just like Martha, yes, Lord, I believe you are the son of God. Faith in Jesus, confession of that, repentance of your sin and baptism. And the reason why we talk about baptism as the seminal moment, the time when we contact the blood of Christ is because that's how the Bible talks about it. And that's what the Bible says happens when we're baptized. It's not just an outward expression of an inward grace. Baptism is a burial and a resurrection with Christ. If you're ready to make that decision this morning, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing. Jesus.